And now, ladies and gentlemen, New Horizons, the mind-body connection with Dr. Keisha Ross. Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Horizon, the Mind and Body Connection on Intentional Talk Radio Network. I'm your host, Dr. Keisha Ross. Today, we have a very special guest, Dr. Charmaine Jackman. Before we begin, let me share a bit about uh, Dr. Jackman's background. There's so many good things to say, but I'm going to shorten it a bit just so we have enough time for our discussion today. Dr. Jackman is a Harvard-trained licensed psychologist with 23-plus years in the mental health field. She is the founder and CEO of InnoPsych, Inc., an organization on a mission to disrupt racial inequities in mental health. Dr. Jackman is an advocate for BIPOC mental health and emotional well-being and has been featured on national media outlets like New York Times, NPR, and Boston Globe. Dr. Jackman also consults with organizations on emotional well-being, employee wellness, and inclusion. So welcome, Dr. Jackman. How are you today? Hi, I can't, I couldn't hear Keisha. Oh, I can, yes. Okay. Well, I was just saying wonderful things about you, Dr. Jackman. I just gave a, a brief bit about your bio and said that I have so many wonderful things to say, but I'd keep it short so that we could, you know, have more time for discussion. So welcome. And how are you today? Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me to be on your guest, one of your guests. I feel so honored. Um, and I'm doing well. My youngest daughter just turned nine yesterday. Oh, so wonderful. We've Happy been just celebrating her. her. Yes, bringing her joy. <laughs> wonderful. That's so in some cultures that would it would be said that it is her born day and it's your birthday as you gave birth to her. So we celebrate you as well, too, for Thank bringing you. her into the, the, the world. Thank you. That's my thoughts exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So we are happy to have you here today. We've had previous guests discuss mental health topics, including stress, trauma. We've gone extensively into race-based stress and trauma, as well as how it impacts mental and physical health. We've also talked about disparities and advocating for equitable treatment. So a big part of what we would like to hear about today is is the treatment piece of it. We're going to start out with a review of racial trauma, but we're also going to talk a good bit about the treatment piece, and we'll have you talk about uh, InnoPsych as well. And as I mentioned earlier, Dr. Jackman's business, InnoPsych, has been highlighted by the New York Times, NPR, and Boston Globe, as well as um, HuffPost. So Dr. Jackman will talk with us about her work um, advocating for high quality and specialized care for people of color. So let's start with just discussing racial trauma and the need for mental health treatment to address healing and recovery from racial trauma. So talk with us a little bit about what is racial trauma. So thank you again. That is such a wonderful question. And it's so important now more than ever. So when I think about racial trauma, I think about the experiences that people have Um, that really perpetuate um, an anxious response or challenges in kind of living their day-to-day life. But those experiences are specifically based in racial discrimination, um, microaggressions. And we can see that from come from a generational um, lens, right, from one generation to the other, Uh, as we might experience when we think about slavery and the impacts of Um, Black people, Indigenous folks over generations. And we also could look, think about it uh, through the lens of collective trauma. We think about, um, for example, George Floyd's murder, right? That's something that many, many folks in the Black community experience as if it were their family member. So that collective trauma, we're all experiencing something at the same time, and we're having really challenging responses and consequences in in, in trying to process that or trying to manage that in our day-to-day life. Um, So those are kind of the broad kind of categories. And if we think about how it plays out in in our day-to-day life, um, one thing that I often talk about, because lots of people, people of color in particular, can connect to it, is that those interactions with police. So whether it could be a neutral (laughs) interaction, you're just driving, Mm -hmm along in your car and you see a police officer maybe behind you, this anxious response that you get, right? Your heart starts beating. 
you look at your your uh, your speedometer to see how fast you're going. You're yeah. being pulled really tight onto your steering wheel, right? So those are experiences when you think about that day-to-day, that kind of just over time, um, the mention of police, you might have that response without even having yes. seen one. Well, that's excellent. So I'm just going to do a recap of that. And I like that you talked about on an individual level, then we have the collective response. Mm-hmm. And when we think about that historical drama piece of it, the intergenerational trauma of what is passed from one generation to the next, even as you talk about the police, I reflect on my own experience. You know, you might not be speeding, you're doing everything correctly, and you still kind of have that, you know, mm-hmm. that. Yes, your heart starts beating fast, maybe breathing a little heavier and having that that concern. And I don't think that everyone recognizes that, you know, as a stressor, you can't get away from race. So I do work with individuals with PTSD, but if it's combat or if it's maybe something that happened in childhood, yes, there is still the effects of that. But you can be removed from that environment, whereas like with racial trauma, that stressor of the racial discriminatory piece remains there. So then that collective piece, as you said, is very important for us to to recognize. So we don't only have that physical impact, we have the mental and emotional together as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us a bit about the importance of having therapists of color to provide clinical and mental health services for the BIPOC community? It is extremely important because as we talked about just the trauma, right, that we've experienced, um, imagine that you go to a therapist who doesn't come from your cultural background and you may be mentioning, oh, I drove by the police and I felt really anxious. That person may have never had that kind of interaction or response and may want you to unpack that further or may want or may actually deny like why, why maybe judgmental mm-hmm. about why are you responding that way are you being paranoid might they may try to misdiagnose you right so having an experience of, with someone who comes from a similar cultural background racial background who've experienced more things there are some things that you just do not need to explain yes because they get it, because they've experienced it. And I think that's the beauty and that's um, of having a therapist of color, someone who's, you know, not necessarily experienced everything, but they understand a lot of your cultural upbringing that you don't need to explain. You just show up and you talk and they they may have additional questions because everybody's experience is not the same, but there's a similarity. There's just shared experiences, there's shared lived experience that you can relate to. Definitely. I had a patient just last week. They were shocked that, oh my gosh, I have a, this is, this is the first time they've had a black doctor and they were just amazed and over the moon and they were so even more ready to engage in treatment. So as you said, yes, you can establish rapport in a different way and that level is trusted is there. So let's link that to what you were talking about with collective Um, experience. When we think about medical experimentation and racism in healthcare, that's also another reason for wanting to have a a racial or ethnic match. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, there's so many reasons, right, why this is important. And I think part of the, and it's hard to talk about why it's important without naming the challenge, that we also, therapists of color represent less than 15% of therapists in this country. And so there's already, you know, they're already hard to find it, right? They're kind of like trying to find mm-hmm. a needle in a haystack. Um, but yeah, so I think part of it, we would think about the um, the history of um, mistrust with the medical profession, right? Because we've seen, uh, we've heard of our bodies being used without our permission, sometimes without pain treatment experiments, right? And so these these experiences have also been passed on from generation to generation, right? We know these stories, right? Our cultures are also, we're oral storytellers. So those stories get passed down from generation to generation. So, there, so there's that piece in terms of the barrier. There's also this explicit message. And, you know, as I do more of these conversations, I'm like, oh, this might've been actually intentional, right? That we, you know, therapy is not for us right? Somehow we don't deserve access to healing, right? Um, It's expensive. 
and it can be if you don't if you're uninsured for sure um and some insurance companies also ha- have very limited resources so there are lots of barriers and <laughs> i know dr keisha you're you're a caribbean island second and fourth so you know we both come from a caribbean background and so i can hear clearly you don't tell your business outside the home right <laughs> So there are all these ways. And I think when I trace it back, I think about the narratives, right? We think about that generational trauma and the link. It's like you kind of, we lived a lot while we lived in community. There's also a lot of secrecy, right? Because you're not sure who's listening and who's going to tell who. And if someone has information over you, that's power. And that could actually mean in slave times, you being separated from a family member. So there are lots of reasons why there's this secrecy and, and, and privacy within family units. So all of those messages over time just make this message really entrenched about why therapy may not be for us. And that's an excellent point. I hear that all the time. Oh, that's not for us. That's for, that's for white people. They, they invented that. But mm-hmm. we also have to think, you know, going back to the continent of Africa, we understand, you know, psyche, the soul, things were intertwined into spiritual work as, as well. So it's not that it isn't necessarily for us, but understanding, yes, the westernized your centric view of things is not necessarily for us, but we have a lot of African-centered therapy. We have decolonized therapy. We have ethnic minority psychological associations. So we have a great deal of work that is for us, by us. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And, And what you said makes a lot of sense that it was adaptive for us to stay quiet at times because it could mean people coming into our, our homes, taking our mm-hmm. children away, family members away. So it was adaptive and protective. So I usually use the example of, you know, military because I, I, I work with veterans in that it makes sense on the battlefield that that hyper arousal is there, that fight or flight. Adrenaline can flow. You can do what you need to do because it's the difference between life and death. But now when coming back to the home environment with spouses, partners, children, the grocery store, wherever you may be going day to day, that level of arousal is not necessarily adaptive for that environment. And it can exhaust the mind and, and the body. So it's similar when we think of those adaptive structures, it, it definitely is meaningful. We need to know times when, yes, we will work within our community, whether it be from a religious, spiritual base. We've also had previous guests on to talk about bridging spirituality and mm-hmm. psychology, that it doesn't need to be an, an either or. Right. But, so you also made a great point that fit only 15% of therapists of color. And we know that the demographics are, are widely changing in, mm-hmm. in the United States mm-hmm. of America. So it's even more important for us to recognize this, this important shift. So with that said, we can, you can start to share with us the vision and the manifestation of InnoPsych. Tell us about <laughs> that. Absolutely. So thank you for this opportunity as well to share the joy that I've, I've gotten from being able to launch InnoPsych. So it actually came out of a number of different experiences, but one very personal where I was looking for a therapist of color um, at a time where I really wanted to talk to someone and I had a real challenge and, you know, being on the, the kind of the client looking for a therapist side, I got to look at it with these very new eyes, right? Um, there were definitely some sites out there, not many that were specific for folks of color, and I would remember putting in a search, you know, my search criteria and then get in a whole lot of people who did not mm-hmm. meet that search criteria. I'm like, did what? not look like you. Did not look like me. I'm like, African-American, Black. Uh, mm, I don't think so. And so then having to shift through all those names and call people and people not call back. And it was really, really overwhelming and stressful. And while it was a challenging time for me, I knew I had resources. So I was tapping into my own personal, you know, things I would do, things that I teach my clients. But it literally took over six months to find a therapist. And she was not a woman of color. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it was a couples therapist I ended up working with first. And then I, she helped me connect to a, a therapist of color. So I'm like, I'm a therapist. Why is this so hard? It shouldn't be this hard. And, yeah. you know, when I thought about it, I'm like, okay, so our people, we don't go to therapy like that. And when we go, it's not about this soul searching. I'm, you know, I'm looking to explore and find some, mm-hmm. you know, in my life. It's like stuff has hit the fan, <laughs> right? You yeah. are having some serious trouble. And so I was like, okay, we can't, like when people are coming at a hard time in their life and it's going to take over six months, like this is not okay. Right. And even further than that, we know untreated mental health concerns only get worse and can end up being fatal, right? People can take their lives, like at the worst outcome, this is what could happen. So I was really determined um, to like this, I can, I can live with that. Um, it was also a time where I was doing more outreach around mental health and seeing like this, this need from people to be connected to therapy resources. So I'm like, you know what, this is something I, I love entrepreneurship. Let me try my hand at this. And so that's how InnoCycle was born. Wonderful. Well, I believe everything happens for a reason. So yes, you launched this fabulous InnoCycle and it is well needed. And you are very specific, not only in terms of by race, but it also can be by ethnicity. Because when we think of the Black community, mm-hmm. we can say Black slash African American. I say Black people because it includes everyone from different diasporas. But mm-hmm. You know, people may be from the Caribbean, they might be from the continent of Africa, they might be from South America, the UK. So we have to keep in mind there may be ethnic differences that are also nuances that would be appreciated within um, therapy. But you made a good point because we don't utilize it in that way. It also has been an area that historically we have not gone into as much. I know when I started study, I started as pre-med to become a doctor. And as I think back, I knew I wanted to help people, but I never saw any modeling of a psychologist. So that's why mentoring at this stage is so important for me in terms of staying connected to HBCUs and, um, you know, students of color to help mentor in terms of bringing them into the field of mental health. I changed my, um, major to psychology, but still with the idea that I'm going to go to med school. And then I realized, no, this, this was a better fit for me. So we also have to keep that in mind that historically we don't see that because of the Mm -hmm. stigma that goes along with it. So let's talk about stigma just a little bit more because with, within every talk that we have, it's just important, right. For us to try to eliminate it. You know, when you think about it in the Caribbean level, you know, on some islands or in some countries, there isn't the outpatient model of psychotherapy. So like I just go and see someone and leave and go home. In some places, there's still only the inpatient kind of model. So there's still a lot of stigma along with that, as people would say, the madhouse. Mm-hmm. And they have concerns about that. So people don't seek help. So t- mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit more about stigma. Yeah. So, I mean, there. okay, we, there's a lot. We're going to break this one down. <laughs> So yeah, so there is there is a lot of stigma. And I, I think regardless of where you are, what skin color you are, there's a lot of stigma around mental health. Yes. Let's just point blank, it is there. Yes. I think when then we think about um, communities of color in particular, as you mentioned, a lot of particularly um, folks come in from other countries here. And I remember vividly, right, that um, driving by our psychiatric hospital, and there are people outside, you know, in the gates, talking to themselves. Like those were, and I, like, there was sometimes I was afraid to drive as a young kid to drive by there because you're not sure what you're going to see. But that is what, that is, for many people, the concept of a mental health condition is that very extreme place where you've lost control. You don't know, you're not in your right mind and you're hospitalized. So it's really important for me around the stigma is to debunk, debunking the stigma is about teaching about what, what is the, the continuum of mental health from, you know, mild to severe. So when, when you talked about the stigma as well around mental health not existing, or it's for, you know, we, we talked about, you talked a little bit about faith practices and for many religious, you know, beliefs it's like there's some devil evil possession right if someone has a mental illness so we have that 
part, right? So that in some mm-hmm. spiritual realms, then it's hard to think about engaging your mental health because mm-hmm. with a therapist, because that's not the cure, that's not going to work. You're going to mm-hmm. pray about it. And so how are we starting to expand our understanding of what mental health is and, and how it develops? We also get the messages, as you mentioned, like, you know, if it doesn't exist, then it's not a career. You're not going to make any money of it. You're not going to be able to provide for your family. Mm -hmm. So that's how people are also turned away from it. And I hear messages from college students, even in 2021, who say, yeah, my parents tell me this is not a good career. They're kind of shying me, shifting me away from that. Um, So there are all these messages um, that we get that mental health either doesn't exist Mm-hmm. And when it does exist, is this really, really um, impaired form that a person um, is experiencing. Um, some of the other messages we hear <laughs> um, around therapy or and, and mental health treatment is like, we're going to do something to mess with your mind or we're going to hospitalize you, right? So it's like that this therapist is not there in a process to help and support you but we're going to do things against your will, right? So it's so important to shift those messages about our role and what we do. My work is extremely collaborative. Um, I think the hard part is when someone is having a mental health crisis where they are suicidal, right? Then, you know, I'm engaging with them to see what their ability is to, to keep themselves safe. Right. So I don't immediately go to you're going to get hospitalized. We engage in a conversation. And if you are not able to make plans or 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 engage in a conversation around safety planning to help keep yourself safe, then I do have to go to the extreme step to make sure that you are can be further assessed and put some supports in to help you. So I really want people to understand that our goal is not to hospitalize people, that is to put medications, put prescribe. I, I mean, I don't prescribe, but when I talk with psychiatrists who do prescribe uh, psychiatrists of color, they're like, this is a collaborative. We talk with you yes. and if something you don't want to try right now, it's okay. Right. It's really a collaborative process and we're given information. We want you to be able to engage in that information as well. So I think that people often feel that when they go see a therapist, that we're going to make them do something against mm-hmm. them. Yes. And that's absolutely not true at all. <laughs> Well, thank you for bringing that out. Again, we've often talked about the spectrum, mild, moderate, severe. Mm-hmm. You know, people have the idea of depression that everyone, it has to be extreme. But no, some people are, experience it mildly. They work, they function, they have relationships, they're productive, have jobs. Then on another end, we have some people that are so markedly impaired that they might be disabled and mm-hmm. unable to work. But the challenge in our community, right, are the myths about it. Well, you're not really depressed. You just need to get over it. Well, oh, I got a divorce. I didn't get depressed or, oh, I lost my job. And this is where we educate that, you know, everyone has a different makeup. The biopsychosocial model is what we use, looking at what's the biological, physiological piece, you know, environmental, what were you exposed to, not just socially, societal-wise, but within your family, personality, makeup, all of those things come together. So yes, Some people might experience a stressor, but they don't, may not necessarily develop anxiety, depression, or PTSD. So thank you for bringing that that point out again, because it's it's important. And also the fear of they're going to be hospitalized, locked away. Many people of color have that. So when they do see a person of color, I think they feel a little bit of relief, like, okay, I can breathe a, a little bit here. But we have to acknowledge some of those fears too, because of historical trauma, because of, you know, messages being misperceived as you talked about spiritual beliefs. Someone might talk about something within their spiritual belief. You know, they might talk about a vision quest, you Mm -hmm. know, they might talk about, you know, I actively talk to God, which is a faith-based type of coping, but not in the sense of like persecutory hallucinations where people are at risk of harming themselves or others. So it's important for that level of, of cultural competence so people can feel comfortable. Yeah. And I think to add to that too, it's um, again, sometimes what I hear people share with me, um, sometimes they experience in symptoms 
And because there's never been a conversation, they didn't have a class on what mental health looks like, mm-hmm. how it presents. They just, they're experiencing things and they just assume that's part of them or, right. And so they don't even know that this is something that could be checked on, that that, mm-hmm. that they could do things about. So for me, it's so important to name, be able to name what are signs and like how it may present differently. So even when we talk about depression, right, oftentimes people think about, oh, I'm sad, I'm in a corner, I'm not going to work. But as you talked about, sometimes if you're at the mild end, you know, sometimes people have, they're like, they're, or, or even moderate, then maybe they'll still be at a function to some mm-hmm. level in their work, might get their kids to school, get up and go to work. But by the end of the day, because they put that mask on, the end of the day, they are wiped out, they are done. And when they come home, they may only be able to sit, sit in their bed. And, and do nothing for the rest of the night or they're coming home and then they're just crying you know so there are ways in which it's so important to talk through all of those different aspects of how it may present yes. because then people are like oh that sounds familiar or my friend yes. or my cousin right so then they're starting to make those connections and I'm sure for you Keisha you know for me when I went through my training which was great but I started work, working in communities of color, there's a lot I had, I actually had to unlearn and relearn, right? Yes. Had to Mm -hmm. make it work. And like, okay, so that's not going to (laughs) work. They're not understanding what I'm saying. So let me break it down or I'm listening, right? I'm also listening to hear how people talk about the things they're experiencing. Yes. Oh, that's great. You know, I can use this with another client, right? So we, you know, we've had to unlearn and relearn Mm -hmm. in order to make sure that what we're doing is culturally relevant, is culturally Yes. And and you make a great point there that not only having people of color as therapists, but also as researchers and Mm -hmm. academics, as teachers, because it was the same for me. I did not have this level of cultural competence that was infused within the training. Thankfully, the field has come further than it was since that time. So those who are training now have other opportunity, like for social justice tracks, or, you know, African-centered work, but this, this was work I had to seek out and do as additional training right. versus what I learned within my doctoral program. So it, it is so important, as you said, the sign and symptoms, and this is part of why we are the mind and body connection, because oftentimes it's more acceptable within communities of color to have some type of physical ailment, right? Because it's mm-hmm. less stigmatized. So we don't realize at times headaches, stomach problems, body aches, fatigue, and pain, those could actually be symptoms of a mental health issue. You know, being on edge, anger, irritability, you know, sometimes it becomes a physical type of symptom and that may be acceptable, more acceptable in some communities. So we always try to fuse those two together because there might be a different level of comfort in seeking help. So while we might see a primary care physician Seeing a therapist may be helpful in terms of the body, you know, having less pain. Gastric problems might go away. You get everything checked out by, by the doctor, but then you realize you still feel feel the same way. So recognizing that mind and body connection. So you yeah. told us up. Good. Go ahead. So I was just going to add on to, I love that, you know, that's the name of your show because more and more I've been using that as well because and a lot of times, particularly in response to COVID, I have been talking to clients and people that I actually do workshops with um, about stress and how it shows up. And one of the things that I tell people is like, when you're having some kind of emotional problem, guess where it's going to show up first in your body. And so mm-hmm. you need to be able to understand your body and read the different signs that your body is giving you to know what might be impacting you. Definitely. And, and you added COVID. So that's another <laughs> stressor that we know has impacted, you know, the BIPOC community in, in different ways. So you've talked a, a bit about the manifestation of InnoPsych. Now tell us, tell our listeners how they can utilize InnoPsych for finding a therapist of color. Sure. So one, we invite you to go check it out, InnoPsych.com. Wait till the show is over though. <laughs> and we really, we when I when I thought about the design of it and what the search criteria, 
I really thought about all the things people were asking me for and also the pain points. So one of the first pain points that I hear people talk about is like, when I call the therapist or when I'm looking for a therapist, I need to know if they're taking new clients or not. So right off the bat on that first page, you can tell if the client is accepting clients, new clients or not. I really wanted that to be clear for folks. Um, And then we have six um, search criteria to help people narrow down their search. And so you can look by, um, by your location. So your state, you can also narrow down by, the type of service you're looking for. So are you looking for therapy? Are you looking for an evaluation? Are you looking for a speaker to come talk to your company? Um, we also could um, break it down by the, um, the type of insurance that you have, right? That's really important. You want to be able to search by your insurance. Um, and then we have people who, on there who are not taking insurance, Um, We also have it by your specialty areas. So you might be looking at someone who works with people with anxiety, or if you're going through a divorce or separation, or um, grief and loss issues. So we have, I think, almost 20 different things that you can search by. We try to pull out the top things that we know people often search by. And then by the race and ethnicity of the client, of the therapist. When you go in, so you can search, those are going to give you your primary search and you can search by all six of those categories or by one or two of them. And then even within that search, once you find your therapist, you can also then look by language. So do they speak Spanish or do they speak Brazilian Portuguese, right? So you can also then, you know, dig down even further. So again, the website is InnoPsych. So it's like innovative. So I, um, www.i, N as in Nancy, N as in Nancy, O, P as in Peter, S as in Sam, Y, C, H. So N-O, psych. And we uh, invite you to really check it out. Again, we have really done a great job of really helping that search criteria to help you find the therapist quickly. And once you click on that, you know, we'll help you get connected to your therapist pretty soon after that too. Wonderful. Well, I can tell you, I have been, you know, referring so many people (laughs) to to InnoPsych because right now I I do full-time work, you know, in a hospital and I don't do any private practice work. So I really, but people still reach out to me. I love that you have on the first page, are you accepting <laughs> patients or not? And particularly because of what you said, if it's only 15, if, if we're only 15% of the therapists, the mental health professionals, we can get overloaded very quickly. Mm-hmm. And this has been a challenge even more so with COVID. So many people are looking for a therapist now in general, right? Regardless of what racial background you are. But then now if you are specifically looking for a BIPOC therapist, it, it's going to be quicker. So because it's going to be more difficult because so many people are, are fully booked. So I love that. Then as you said, you have type of insurance, you have specialty areas, you have the racial and the ethnic match. And talk with us a little bit more about that because you could have stopped that race, but you definitely put the ethnicity piece in that. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. And you know, at the end of the day, I want just want to give people a choice, right? So, and who, you know, and if you can get more, like, I could, you know, at some point we're going to even break this down a little bit further. Maybe I'm looking for a Bayesian psychologist. Wouldn't it be Bajan, cool? To look, yes. right? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be cool to look for that. But I just wanted to, you know, I think there's some websites that are out there that kind of stop at the racial background. Mm-hmm. And again, while, while we're, you know, trying to be unified as folks, we also know there are nuances, right? Um, me growing up in the Caribbean, there are differences that I've experienced from people who grew up here in the U.S. or people who grew up in Africa, right? So being able to, you know, someone who has been able to navigate some of those differences, right? Or, you know, I have an immigrant experience, right? That's very different than maybe someone who's not, right? And so for some people, it might be important. For others, it may not be, and that's okay, but it's really about choice, well, I love that. And, and, you know, I've, I've been, I've done an infomercial recently on specifically doing therapy with, um, 
you know, the Black community and I listed InnoPsych there. So it's wonderful. And not only in the therapist level, but if you're looking like for consultation or you said people who do work, you know, more so with organizations, we also, you ha- also have those um, individuals of, of color also listed. So we've talked a good bit about InnoPsych in general. Tell us a little bit more about some of the projects related to building mental health equity that that you have been working on? Because you do so much within the community. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, it's it's been an amazing journey. And when I set out to do InnoPsych, like a lot of things that I'm getting involved with, I, I never could, you know, could imagine that this would be happening. So, you know, it's been, we have been able to open up a national dialogue. I mean, it has been there and, and, but I feel like we're helping to push that conversation even further around mental health equity and why we need therapists of color. And, but also around, again, changing the narrative, right? So one of the, the shows that I have similar to yours, um, it's called Thriving Thursdays, and we host it about six times out of the year. But I bring on mental health therapists and mental health advocates who are doing amazing work in the community to highlight why healing is important for us, why therapy is important for us, why body-based approaches, why understanding racial trauma is important, right? So having a conversation, having dialogue around this. So this it's like, but it's multifold because it's also about highlighting therapists and bringing them out of their offices and yes. in the spotlight, right? Because a lot of times, like we're you're, we're in our office, you know, you're as a therapist, you're in our office, and people don't know what's going on inside that office. And we know, like media portrayals of therapists are awful. are terrible. Oh my <laughs> goodness! Awful. I tell They're folks awful. just scratch everything that you have seen in the and- media. They're just awful. There's one show is a black show, and one of the first episodes, the therapist was so inappropriate. I'm like, if anyone is watching this, they're not going to want to go. Yeah. So, so part of it is bringing therapists into the spotlight and having them talk about the work they're doing, but also for them to share their their experiences. We've all gone through stuff. So, how are you healing as a therapist? What are the things that you're doing? So. Wonderful conversations, and I'm going to have you on too because this is what you're doing here is also amazing. So, <laughs> yes, and I'll, I'll look forward to that. Again, it's a community. We want to keep this going. And as you talked about, similarly, when you were looking for a therapist, when I looked for a therapist, also I I didn't have a black therapist. Now they, it was the female from another Middle Eastern country, so there was a level of mm-hmm. ethnicity. So I think there was at least thinking outside of the box, but in terms of, yes, lived experience, it, it would be different. So it's wonderful that we have a community, we have a place that we can land like in Ospike. And Thriving Thursdays, do you have some of that like on the on the website, folks yeah. will be able to find information about Thriving Thursdays. Yes, so we have our InnoPsych TV YouTube page. So you'll see the Thriving Thursdays. We've also done programming um, around hot topics. So we did a, tra- we worked, we partnered with an organization and did a training on suicide prevention in communities Wonderful. of color. Cause yes. you know, we think it doesn't happen to us. And you know, so and sad. you hear this all the time. Oh, that's a white people thing. Black people don't kill themselves. But, you know, my niche area is historical and intergenerational trauma. So we have to recognize in the Middle Passage, Mm -hmm. there were so many African slaves who killed themselves because Mm -hmm. being under duress, you know, people only sometimes think about slavery as like the plantation level. But Mm -hmm. when you think about capture, Mm -hmm you know, the middle passage, Mm -hmm. you know, the living conditions, the torture, the physical, the sexual abuse, all of those things that were happening, there were people that were preferred not to live, Mm -hmm. then then endure that. So even historically, this has happened within our community, but we don't really talk about it. And then now in the present time, it happens, but we don't talk about it. Because we recognize that spirituality and religion is important for us. It has been the keystone, it has been the foundation, a rock when people are oppressed and they need something to keep them going, that's where faith comes in. 
However, we have to recognize that we have to have that bridge, that sometimes prayer, meditation, it's good, but it, we can't pray schizophrenia away. We can't pray bipolar away. We can't pray diabetes away. So as the, the African proverb says, you know, when you pray, move your feet. Or when we think about faith without works, mm-hmm. it's dead. So we know that there's some level of action mm-hmm. that needs to be taken along with that. So I love that you, with the racial and ethnic piece, it, it brings that home because ethnically there can be a lot of faith-based stuff or very unique cultural aspects that are necessary to understand. It doesn't mean that we have to be experts as mental health therapists in terms of shamanism, different areas, but we have to be open and aware enough to recognize if this is important to a person's worldview and how they conceptualize how disease or disorder is produced and how it is treated and how they heal and get better. We have to be open, open to that. For sure. And I would just add, just going back to the suicide piece, because the harm that happens when we don't talk about it is that people then suffer in silence and shame. And so we're seeing um, Black children are, you know, suicide is the second leading cause of death right now. Um, We're seeing the third leading cause for Black youth. And we're seeing increasing numbers for for adults, for Black men in particular. So... We can't ignore, and we think about the indigenous communities have the highest suicide rates, right? And we we think about historical trauma, right? They have been impacted, you know, as as much as we have. So um, when we don't talk about it, people don't understand their experiences and they don't develop a language to say, I'm feeling feeling really sad. I feel like I want to kill myself. And we can respond to that, right? It doesn't mean they're going to, right? But if we don't, if that person can't say those words, and they don't feel, and they feel they may be judged by that, whether it's in their spiritual or their social family context, they don't have, they don't feel as though they have options. So that that's why we need to have these conversations. So yes. it's important when we think about mental health equity, it's like stuff like this. Right? It's so, and I think for some people it's like, well, that, I don't know, it doesn't seem as though it's a huge thing, but it is a huge thing for us. Yes, just having a safe space. And as you said, the language mm-hmm. to articulate it. I think of the myth of like the old time or old school parents that didn't talk about sex because the idea that talking about sex will make it happen. And suicide is similar. Like if we just don't talk about it, if we don't acknowledge it, or if you even hear the word, you shut it down, it won't happen. But we recognize that that now reinforces that suffering in silence and particularly parents listening If your children are talking to you, be open, listen, because you want them to know that they can come and talk to you about anything. Because now if they shut down and they close off, you won't know what they're thinking Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what they're feeling. And with something as serious as self-harm and suicide, it could be too, too late. So I know that's also a community issue. For us that we need to work on. So I definitely encourage listeners to be more aware. And we have a lot of leading um, professionals in suicide that are Black or or Indigenous. So that also helps to have another level of comfort. Because sometimes when we hear people from outside of the community talking Mm -hmm. about it, there isn't that level of trust. Yeah. Yes. So yes. So those are, so I would say, Thriving Thursdays, we do the educational component. And then more recently, we've been actually going into organizations and working particularly with ERGs and affinity groups. So a lot of, you know, I think COVID has made this one possible. And then George Floyd's murder, I think a lot of people of color are looking for their workplaces to step up around emotional well-being. So InnoPsych has been able to work with organizations to really tap into and and, uh, particularly supporting the employee um, emotional well-being. And we're seeing companies are really attuned to this because they need the diversity and they don't want their diverse employees leaving. So it's actually been also a way to ensure that employees are staying. Um, I think part of it is also breaking down some of those, you know, those misconceptions about if I bring my any struggles to work, then I'm going to get fired. And I think employees are really paying attention that they really need to be intentional about mm-hmm. how they're talking about this to make it safe. 
for people to open up to the, the wellness resources that they have. So it's wonderful that, you know, individually you're doing work with the Thriving Thursdays, but I love the org piece. As we think about work, like work home, when we say that, right? Mm-hmm. Eight hours a day for some who work more, whether it's overtime or just having the job that demands more, that's a significant part of our day. And when we particularly work in predominantly white workplaces or spaces, there is a great deal of pressure, which I think many white people do not understand, you know, code switching, having to talk a certain way, you know, walk a certain way, because it may not be acceptable, particularly like in corporate arenas, you know, for Black women, particularly your hair, are you natural or is it relaxed and pressed? And then if it's natural, having to think of, okay, what discriminatory practices might come along with that? So I don't think that organizations recognize even these small nuances that that's a lot of exhaustion. And that's before you even start the work, right? That's before you're even doing what is your job, what you're called to do. Yeah, and I, you know, we when we started this this conversation about racial trauma, and there is a lot of racial trauma at work. And someone said to me recently, um, one of one of the employees of color said, you know, I just want to come to work and work. And I'm like, oof, if that's not a sign of racial trauma at work, I don't know what is. Right. Cause they're saying, I just want to do my job because I can't cold switch. I don't have the mental capacity to do my progress again you know like they're just like I just want to do my job and part of it is because they've experienced stuff and they just don't want to go through that again so organizations really need to pay attention to the the hostile work environments that many of us have had to be in definitely I mean it's it's so much it's exhausting and then when you think of the healing profession you know I have trainees so I do clinical work I also have trainees, interns, and postdocs, and I happened to have a Black trainee at the time when George Floyd was killed, and she was just so thankful that I was Black at that time, because she said, (laughs) I mean, she was like, I know I wouldn't have, like, fallen off the face of the earth or anything, but I just don't know what it would have been like, because Mm -hmm. I just got everything that she was feeling Mm -hmm. and experiencing. And, you know, white people couldn't might hear this conversation say, well, you don't have to be black to experience empathy and loss. No, you don't. And I'm saying you should as a human being, you should. But it's that we experience that. And there's another piece in that the historical collective trauma and we see our husbands, we see our brothers, we see our daughters, we see our sisters, we see our mothers, because we see ourselves mm-hmm. when these things happen. So it becomes difficult now. And if you're in the helping profession, we're having to help others while we also have this parallel process of having to heal ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, I might, it sounds like me talking right now. <laughs> I'm talking your language. Same things. Exact, exact. We're twins right now. We're just twinning. <laughs> and, tr- and truly, and, and, and I, have, I have some wonderful white colleagues, you know, shout out to them. And, you know, a lot of people have checked in with me to, to see how I'm doing. And I was like, that's wonderful. Is there anything that I can do? And I challenged them. I said, do the work. <laughs> yep. Do the work. Do the anti-racism work. Do the anti-poverty work do you know understanding your white privilege your white fragility all of that because the more you understand that and educate yourself and others that's less education that I have to do because as people of color it's not our job to educate Hmm. yeah in that way but we do (laughs) yep I know yep (laughs) I know we're getting close to time so I'm gonna yes Well, we will have you back so we can go even further. So so I want to get through two questions before we wrap up. And one is for listeners who may be uh, thinking of seeking mental health treatment, what would you advise in terms of shopping for a therapist? So they know where to go in terms of InnoPsych, but in terms of characteristics, what are things that you would recommend in terms of shopping for a therapist? So I, and we have a blog post on this specifically, because I think for people who've never done therapy, it's, 
it's overwhelming. Like, I'm just going to go call somebody and then I'm just going to tell my whole life story. Like what? Right. So um, it's really important. So, you know, what I also tell people, you know, try to pick two or three people who you're interested in, in, in exploring further. And do you actually have a right to say, I'd love a 15 minute consult with you to get a sense of, 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 of your style and to hear if we're a good connection, right? It's a little bit like dating, right? You want to kind of test out who the person is. Okay. Um, so you may have some questions. I think it's good to have some questions. Have you worked with someone from my cultural racial background? Have you worked with these issues, right? Have you have you helped someone navigate, you know, racial trauma? And what did you do? How did you work, right? Um, so I think those are some beginning, beginning questions that we want people to ask, you know, what is, how, what's your theoretical approach, but really, I mean, I think that's very clinical, but like, how do you help your clients? Like, I think that's a really good question. How do you help your clients? Mm -hmm. How will I know if this is working? If it's not working, what do you do? Right. So you want to really just hear how people talk through those questions. But I think if, having someone who understands your racial and cultural background and how that might intersect with the concerns that you're having. Um, I think those are great questions to ask anyone um, that you're working with and they should be able to respond to that. And if they can't, that's a sign that they're not ready. They're not ready for you. So you may not want to go with them. Um, And then obviously insurance as well, you know, what? make sure it's a match with insurance if you are not going to use insurance, understanding what they, their fees are for each session and different types of sessions. Um, do they have a sliding scale? Meaning do they offer reduced fees that are based on income? So those are some questions to really understand what it would be involved to get in, in connected to that person. And then I said, try out the person for you know at least three sessions because the first session, the first session at least we're asking a lot of questions to get background information. You know, we try to do it. I, I try to do it where it doesn't feel like we're just, I'm just interrogating you. But there's yeah. some basic information that we need to get before we can move on. Um, and part of that is, you know, if, particularly if you're doing insurance, we have to kind of come up with a preliminar- preliminary diagnosis. Um, and then so after that first session, then, you know, you may get a better sense because it's more than talking about your goals and helping you kind of navigate some situations. Again, every therapist has their own style. So some may be, more talkative some may be more listening and asking you questions so again you want to be paying attention to is this working for me is this helping me bring what I need to to the forefront and if you find yourself holding back from the therapist especially after the first you know two sessions that you're intentionally not revealing something that's very important like the reason you're coming to therapy Mm -hmm. then that's not a good sign either so that might mean you're not feeling really comfortable. You're not trusting them. You may bring it up or you might just let me try someone else. But I think it's important to pay attention to the vibe, the energy you're getting from that person, but not kind of being too quick to, to judge that. So given, I would say at least three sessions and having the conversation, if it's not working out, you're feeling like it's not quite what you want. I encourage you to have that conversation with them. I always tell people, we're going to have that conversation. And I ask, how is this working for you? What's working? What's mm-hmm. not working? Right. So yes. it is, it is a relationship. So it's yes. not just you going in and this person is telling you what to do. You have more, I even say you have more power in that really because you're the expert in your life. So you mm-hmm. want to be able to talk and, and, and explore what is working and what's not working. Excellent. So just like a bit of recap maybe doing a 15 minute consult, you know, when you're talking, getting an idea of like on the phone, how are you feeling? Are you vibing this? Not um, choosing two to three people. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you're just set on one person, um, asking them how they help their clients. Um, will they check in, you know, telling you how you'll know it's working. And as you said, if they can't respond to that, that is definitely um a sign. So it true. Uh, that's why I say shopping for a therapist, because it's like, yes, you're going to try different things out and see where you want to land and, and boundaries as well, just having an idea of that. So thank you for that in terms of, you know, those seeking mental health, what they can look for in terms of characteristics of a therapist. So as we prepare to wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? We've talked about so much today. 
Yeah, you know, again, the 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 one thing that I say to everybody. So when we when we talk about therapy, we're often talking about talk therapy, where you go in and you talk about what's going on with you, and the therapist engages with you in that way. But talk therapy is not for everyone, right? There are people who that style just doesn't work. And, you know, there are lots of different options out there. And so I'd love to talk about some of the other options. So um, there's a whole body of um, arts and expressive therapists. So they may use through art, through music, um, through like visual arts and through dance, through theater. So there are other approaches that are out there. There are also body-based treatments that really um, use your body to help release trauma and release tension. So I just invite you to consider that, you know, if you have the awareness to know that there's something going on, that there's a block for you, you're having trouble moving forward in your life or feeling really stuck in some circumstances, that there are a number of different options out there in terms of therapists that you can access. And so we don't want you to just say, well, this talk therapy didn't work. So that means therapy mm-hmm. didn't work at all. So really, if you have a, uh, an experience with a therapist that wasn't quite, didn't work for you, really seen as that was that relationship that didn't work, right? And maybe I need to go back and find someone else, do, do a different search, right? Really help think about how do I be a little bit more discern and more um, thoughtful um, about what that person is. What do I want to get from that process? So that's what I would just say in terms of wrapping up, you know, there are different types of therapies that are out there. And again, like if one, one particular therapist doesn't work, it doesn't mean that the whole, <laughs> the whole shebang is, is, is off. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So, and I, I would just say like therapy is a beautiful process and, yes. you know, I've done it at different points in my life and just having somebody who's focused on you and your agenda mm-hmm. and they don't have any, any personal other than your happiness and your success, yes. you know, they're not like a family member who's like, you know, they may have some secondary gain, right? This person is just focused on you and it's such a beautiful mm-hmm. process to be able to go in and have that experience. So yes. I invite everyone to just try it once at least. <laughs> and thank you for highlighting that, that it can be beautiful because everyone thinks about it like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go in and delve into that. But no, they're wonderful aspects of learning about yourself and, and, and growing. And mm-hmm. thank you for highlighting different types of therapy that if one style doesn't work for you, looking into other styles for people who, you know, meditation is a big part of their life, like mindfulness, stress-based reduction, MSBR, that is helpful for some, or if you need that physicality, as you said, it's there, or for those who are creative, the arts and expressing their So we thank you so much. We've had a remarkably enlightening dialogue with Dr. Charmaine Jackman, and we certainly thank you for joining us on New Horizon, the Mind and Body Connection. If people want to reach out to you, uh, how can they contact you? For sure. Definitely checking out our website and um, our email is thrive at innocite.com and I can put it in the box. But we have, we encourage you to um, subscribe to our newsletter. If you go to the website, subscribe to our newsletter. There's a lot of creative things that we're doing, um, lots of national opportunities that we're getting. So we are, you know, again, I am about making this this creative and as interesting and exciting as possible. Um, follow us on our YouTube page, um, in, in Osec TV. Like and subscribe, as my daughter would say. <laughs> And we're also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at InnoPsych. Once again, thank you to Dr. Charmaine Jackman for appearing on New Horizon, the Mind and Body Connection on Intentional Talk Radio Network. We thank you so much. Join us on second and for Sunday, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Our next show will be October 10th. For those who weren't able to catch us live today, check us out on all your podcast platforms. And remember, healthy mind and healthy body is key to longevity. Take care.